The vision in the beginning and really for the first 10 years was be the best place to hire a pro such that for whatever you need done, Thumbtack is the best place to find a pro, make that happen. And that's still central to what we do today, but increasing, we're elevating our ambition and don't simply want to be a tool to hire, but really a partner in service of the care of your home. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Marco Zappacosta is the co-founder and CEO of Thumbtack, a technology leader building the all-in-one home care platform, helping customers find and hire skilled professionals. Marco is a self-taught entrepreneur who started Thumbtack right out of college based on the belief that he could help solve an age-old problem. Why is it so hard to find a plumber or any local professional for that matter? Through the Thumbtack app, homeowners can effortlessly manage their greatest asset confidently, knowing what to do, when to do it, and who to hire. Bringing the $500 billion home service market to mobile, Thumbtack empowers homeowners to instantly book the right skilled professional and supports hundreds of thousands of small businesses to grow sustainably. Today, Thumbtack spans every county in the U.S., and covers hundreds of local service categories. The company has raised more than $500 million from the likes of Sequoia Capital, Tiger Global Management, among others. Marco has been recognized on Forbes 30 Under 30 list and has been featured in media outlets, including New York Times, Fortune, The Wall Street Journal, and CNBC. I started off my conversation with Marco by asking about any of his early entrepreneurial influences. I grew up in the Bay Area, but both my parents are Italian and they came here in 1976 thinking they'd stay for a few years, have an American adventure and go home. And they never left. And they're still here and we're all here. And so their story, um, really an American dream type of story, you know, coming as immigrants, coming as engineers, uh, hustling, studying, and then ultimately starting businesses and starting tech businesses. So despite it not being what I imagined myself doing as I was growing up, it was very much present in my life. And ultimately something that I feel really lucky for that I had that exposure and and just knowing it was possible. What was that like as a kid whose parents were from a different country and, and growing up in America and obviously uh, especially, you know, just in, in California, there's, there's say a lot of money and, and people and parents and many generations. What was that like for you watching your parents, seeing them as immigrants, uh, trying to make their way? Yeah. Well, honestly, I think this is sort of, yeah, happens a lot where you kind of don't know any better. So the Bay area is 37% foreign born. Uh, so it's not like my parents were the only immigrants around. Lots of people's parents were born in different countries and didn't strike me as particularly weird. You know, I think the what I felt growing up was that, you know, our home life was very different. Um, and I, I still tell people today that I'm domestically Italian and socially American <laughs> because my my concept of family and home is really rooted in, in sort of what two Italian parents think of a home should be. 
But outside their walls, you know, American culture is too powerful and too strong. And I am a sort of unabashedly American outside the walls of a home. You know, it actually sounds like a, a pretty good combo. I want to talk about growing up in the Bay Area. Were you one of those kids that, you know, was selling uh, baseball cards or gum at school? Did, did, did you want to be an entrepreneur or did you have other thoughts? I really didn't. I wanted to be a scientist. So I took a lot of math and science courses. I went to college, you know, thinking I was going to be a research scientist. And that was kind of the the story I told myself. And, you know, when I look back, while I don't have, you know, stories of selling uh, baseball cards or gum, there are a lot of moments where I was just made the president or leader of the team or group that I was a part of. And and again, you don't really think about it as you're doing it, but as you look back and try and sort of give your own life some perspective, I think that thread is very much there. Yeah, it's interesting. So you go to school. Where'd you end up going to school? I went to Columbia in New York City. Right. Spent time in the NYC. Do you miss it at all? Yeah, very much. I actually had only been to New York for two days prior to showing up in college. And it was the two days I was on a college visit seeing NYU in Columbia and I just fell in love and they let me in. And so I went and loved it and certainly miss it. Absolutely. Yeah. Just for that, you went to school and, and, and what did you study while you were at Columbia? So again, thinking I was going to be a research scientist, one of the things that motivated me about Columbia is that they had a very strong neuroscience program. And that's what I was passionate about. And I studied that. I loved it. And then I went to go work in a lab. I realized that while the content was incredibly interesting and, and captivating. The work was far from it. And I realized very quickly that it was too narrow, too repetitive, too monotonous, and just not cut out for me. And so I also then ended up studying a lot of political science and particularly political theory, in part just because I was curious about it. Columbia is known for its sort of great books and great works pro program. And that was something that attracted me as well. So a little bit all over the place. So you come out of school and studying science and, and political science, and and then you find yourself, how did you go from there to yeah. starting a business called Thumbtack? Yeah, there, there's sort of an interlude. So post my dreams being shattered about not being a research scientist, I sort of explored random curiosities and passions. And one of them, and obviously common for many 20-year-olds, uh, was pension reform. So I got super into thinking about sort of the long run when it comes to pensions and sort of social programs, so much so that I wrote some op-eds for my student newspaper about it. And unbeknownst to me at the time, but there was another equally sort of uh, nerdy guy uh, who was also writing op-eds about this for his student newspaper, and we got connected. And he started a student advocacy group that was involved in this social security debate uh, that I then took a semester off of college to join, uh, and as did he. And that was really formative for me, not because we had any effect on the national debate, nor because it turned into a career, but it's where I really experienced building something out of nothing, you know, rallying people around a shared dream and building a startup. We didn't call it that or think about it that way, but it very much was. And so when that sort of uh, petered out and we went back to college and finished, we sort of said to ourselves, hey, let's do this again. And here's where sort of my sort of exposure and, and sort of seeing what my parents had done, I think really shaped me because, you know, I could say, hey, we can have as big or bigger of an impact by building a technology product or company 
And we're not going to be beholden to this whole political world that we really have no agency in. And so the idea that we could have a big impact, we could serve a lot of people, we could make a difference uh, was one that I was excited to pursue really from a tech angle and no longer from a policy angle. And how did, when thinking about your parents, what was it about them or their story that really made you believe you could do this and have an impact? So my parents are the most impressive people I know. And in many ways, I'm sort of in awe of what they did. They came here knowing nobody, not having really any money, uh, and just worked really hard. But what I saw in that was that it wasn't magic, that it was just hard work. And I felt like that's something that I could do too. And this was you know, a privilege, uh, sort of thinking that and believing that. And I really sort of applaud people like you and, and shows like this to help spread that message that entrepreneurship is accessible. It's not something that's sort of different or rare or unique or hard. You know, it takes a lot of work. It takes some luck, uh, but it's something that anybody, if they really have a passion for, can jump into. Yeah, I love that. And I love you said that because the one thing I've noted from over a hundred plus episodes with some of the most incredible minds and entrepreneurs is that the number one trait that I've found for success is persistence and work ethic and picking yourself off the mat. And I've met incredibly intelligent people like yourself and, and others who had great ideas, but it always comes down to that. And it's so great that and I applaud your parents and all immigrants that come here and work just so in a lot of cases, their kids could yeah. have this opportunity. And it sounds like they really did give you a great opportunity for an education. And then oh, they gave me everything uh, that anybody could ask for. And the reason they talk about staying is exactly what you sort of mentioned, opportunity. They saw their lives back in Italy and certainly the lives that we, their children, would have as being much more limited in terms of opportunity than what we would have here. And I think that's what kept my parents. It's sort of what got them excited to raise their family here. And, you know, it's really proven out. You know, if you just look at my cousins and extended family in Italy, like same kids, just as smart, just as hardworking, but through no fault of their own, have less opportunity. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And you're talking about Italy. You're, we're not talking about like a minor, you know, like third yeah. world, gun, which yeah. shows you just the opportunity that is here as opposed to so many other places around the globe. We're so fortunate in this country. So tell me, so then thinking about this, knowing this, having the, the wherewithal to go do something, how does the idea for Thumbtack come about? Yeah. So we kind of did what you're not supposed to do, at least to Silicon Valley lore, which is decide <laughs> to start a company and then go hunt for an idea. But I think the saving grace in that is that we looked outside ourselves and we said, what is an enormous problem that exists in the world today that inevitably is going to be solved by technology? And you know, we narrowed that down a little bit to solve by technology that is software-based and delivered by the web, because that was something we could do. So no fusion, nothing crazy like that. And we we just started talking, me and my co-founders. And the observation that led to all this was, you know, why is it so damn hard to hire a plumber? Or for that matter, any local service professional, you know, here you were in the late aughts when e-commerce, certainly not what it is today, but very present in our lives and really highlighted, I think, particularly to us sort of younger people that this was the future. You were going to buy things online. Of course, it's simpler, faster, better. 
but you couldn't yet do that for hiring all the pros that you needed in your day-to-day life. And that felt like a huge problem. And also one that at some point technology just had to be able to fix. And so despite not knowing how to do it or what would actually crack it, we said, that's the one and and sort of jumped in with two feet and 10 plus years later, still working on it. Going back and saying, we're going to go for this, do this with your co-founders. How were you feeling at the time, you know, starting your own business? Was there anxiety? Were you, what was your feeling? Yeah. So I don't know if people will consider this lucky or not, but in retrospect, I do. Thumbtack started about three weeks before Lehman Brothers went out of business, August 2nd, 2008. And at that point in time, the world felt like it was ending, and certainly in the financial world. Oh. And you know, my co-founders and I w- would sort of look to ourselves and be like, well, shit, like we're not going to get other jobs. We might as well just keep grinding on this because this is the one we've got. And more importantly, like the world outside is bleak. And that really pushed us to be incredibly frugal, incredibly scrappy, and to kind of just dig in. And I wonder if we were starting now in a very sort of hypey moment uh, with so much you know, buzz and distraction, would we have been as committed? So there were many moments with lots of doubts, but the opportunity cost because of the Great Recession in some ways was kind of lower than ever. Yeah, it's such an incredible point. And when I think back and look at it, so many incredible businesses today were born out of that time period because it really did feel like in a lot of ways the world was ending and and democracy and capitalism as we yep. knew it were were finished and I love the fact that it kept you to stay in but was there ever a time even while you were in it in the early days where you thought to yourself you know maybe maybe I should have been a neuroscientist or maybe <laughs> I should have uh, you know done something else yeah so it was less of like wow, I wish I could be doing something else right now. And more the fear and you know uncertainty that came from not being sure I could do this. You know, in many ways, I, I never lost faith in the idea. This thing is just so broken. You go talk to homeowners, you go talk to pros, and you're certain there's something to do here. But I certainly question whether I and we could pull it off and whether we had a shot of being that solution. And there were moments where, you know, the company is running out of money or we're struggling to raise more money. And the doubt is self-doubt. Can I do this? Can I pull this off? Can, are we the team that can make this happen? And that was very much a fear at various points. How did you get by that personally those days when you felt like that? Man, I just hate losing. I really think this is sort of a grit thing. And as long as there were more people to talk to, more people to pitch, you know, another opportunity to solve the problem for the business, um, I wasn't going to give up. And and the team wasn't either. So I, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the moment I'm thinking of was when we were trying to raise our series A, our first institutional round of, of investment. And we went 0 for 40 before getting a couple yeses. And that hurt and it was scary, but thankfully there were more than 40 firms to go talk to. And until we still had some money in the bank, we were going to go knock on those doors. Yeah, it's funny. Over 40 is actually a pretty good track record on this podcast. You know, uh, <laughs> when, I, you get- <laughs> when I hear some of the stories before, like hundreds of people, and it, it always amazes me and just shows how little sometimes people know or understand or can see something. And there's a lot of luck involved, especially those first people, I'm sure, that gave you that capital. And yep. tell me the vision for Thumbtack at the time and really what the business is today. Yeah. So the vision in the beginning and really for the first 10 years was be the best place to hire a pro. 
such that for whatever you need done, Thumbtack is the best place to find a pro to make that happen. And that's still central to what we do today, but increasing, we're elevating our ambition and don't simply want to be a tool to hire, but really a partner in service of the care of your home. Uh, Because there's a lot that goes into that beyond simply hiring a pro, which is about thinking about what should I be doing? What could I be doing? What's the best way to do something? And we are really developing the best way to answer those questions. Your home is your biggest investment. It's your most complicated sort of thing that you're responsible for. And yet you're alone. There's no manual. There's no superintendent. There's none of that. And we want to be that partner that really helps you put all of home care really on autopilot so that you have the peace of mind that you're, new, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And where have you seen the largest growth starting from back then when you first started the business till now? Yeah. So, you know, I think the first thing that really caught on Thumbtack wasn't home services. It was actually event services. So there were the events, whether it's a wedding, a corporate event, a birthday party, that is sort of the definition of like, you need to hire a pro that you may not know where to find. And Thumbtack, sort of because of the quirk of the internet that that sort of niche hadn't been solved for, sort of made that happen and really sort of propelled the early growth. But probably, you know, four or five years in, what began to sort of take over was home services. Not because we did anything sort of unique for it at first, but because that market is so damn big. And, you know, every homeowner in the country has something happen every year and many times a year that requires hiring a pro that they don't know. And that customer, that homeowner increasingly turned to us to get that done. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. No one succeeds alone. Even the best entrepreneurs know when it's time to bring in an outside expert. With Upwork, you can find top developers, designers, project managers, and more who can start today so your business can succeed tomorrow. You can check work samples, client reviews, and more to make sure you're hiring the right pro for your business. And there's no cost until you hire. Plus, you'll only pay for work you approve. Whether you're looking to hire a single pro for a project or an entire team to scale your business, Upwork can help you reach your goals. And however you hire, Upwork is available to help you keep things running smoothly with 24-7 support, letting you stay focused on what matters, your business. Find the right talent for whatever your business needs at Upwork, the world's work marketplace. Learn more at www.upwork.com. And we're back. I want to switch gears and talk about a big initiative that Thumbtack put in place, I would say, you tell me, in the past couple of years, virtual first work. Because every entrepreneur I have had on the show during the pandemic, as we come out, I've asked, how are you returning to work? How are you going to do it? What's it going to be like? None of them had answers for me. None of them had a, 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 this is what it's going to be like. This is how we're going to do it. How did you start and why did you go to virtual work, virtual first work initially? Yeah. First off, were it not for COVID and being forced to experiment with a virtual work model, I don't believe we ever would have made this shift. But sort of after the initial craziness of COVID, when we're just sort of in lockdown and from a work perspective or trying to get back to normal... What we came to appreciate is that there were very, very real benefits of virtual work. And what stood out really were three things. One was 
the efficacy of the workday, that you just are forced to be more deliberate, more explicit. And through that, the time invested in work yields more output. It's more impactful. And that's that's striking, right? That's a big, powerful thing to realize, man, for the, the hours and days we're putting in, we're getting more out. Um, there's something really here. The other thing was that it felt more equitable. We were already a company that had multiple offices, that had sort of teams sort of spread out geographically. And there was always this tension of like those in headquarters, those in the satellite office, those that got flown in for the big meeting versus not making the cut. And you know, I don't think we were unique. I think any office that got to a certain size had that. And virtual work evaporated all of it. We were all just these little Brady Bunch boxes on the screen. <laughs> and that really forces a more sort of equitable relationship. Like, I think there's much more inherent sort of power dynamics in physical space than in the virtual space that we meet in. So that was a huge plus. Like, we heard from folks, particularly outside of HQ, I've never felt like we were acting as one team before. I've never mm. felt more like a thumbtack, an equal thumbtack employee. And that really was powerful. And then, you know, lastly, the flexibility. I'm a parent. I have two little kids. I had a kid during the pandemic. Congrats. And thank you. And being a dad while working in a virtual centric model, let me be a better dad. Let me be a better partner. And it wasn't because I cut back at work and sort of said no to that so I could say yes to my home obligation. It's just more flexible so you can fit in both more easily. And you know that is really, really startling too because I'd had the thought and I know many other sort of hard charging people have had this thought, like, I don't know if I can be good at both things. Can I be good in, in the office and really good partner and dad at home? Like, I don't know. I may have to make a compromise now. And then later in my career, I can dial it back and, and do more at home. But that's a pretty shitty thought. And, yeah. you know, I, I didn't like feeling crummy at half of it. And seeing how much more flexible virtual work was and through that sort of empowering of living a fuller, better life and through that flexibility, giving us better access to more talent and um, whether that talent was geographically disparate or you know, had some home obligations that meant that they couldn't go into an office felt, you know, very significant. So I came into this experiment, a huge skeptic. I, you know, would joke at home with my wife, like I, like I never missed the day of work. I'd go in sick. <laughs> I, I really believe that you had to show up to sort of do your job and yeah, to be an effective worker. And I was wrong. Uh, that actually was not uh, all of it. Now we should be clear that not everything is better with virtual work. In being more effective, the work is more transactional. And through that, there's less opportunity for cohesion and connection. And, you know, we're humans and, and we need that. We need that sort of like tribal sense of like being part of a group and, and part of a team and a family and a clan, you know, whatever you want to think of it as. And virtual work does not create that. And so we've tried to find a way that gets the best of both worlds, uh, where we can invest time to be together, fly people in for really curated uh, moments and events uh, that build camaraderie, build community, but aren't really about doing work. They're about building connection. And then when we go home uh, or wherever we work from, we focus on getting the work done and we do that in the most effective way possible. And so trying to you know, be the best version of ourselves by mixing and matching uh, what's possible. I love that. Two things I never thought of 
but it's so transparent now. You know, when everyone's in that little box on a Zoom, instead of being in an office where someone's got the big corner office, someone has the, yep. that you lose all of that, which it's great because- okay. Yeah, I'll tell you my least favorite thing I ever had to do at Thumbtack was approve the seating chart. And the only <laughs> reason it got to me is because it'd be so contentious that nobody else wanted to take ownership about where they were sticking people in teams. And the reality is like there were better and worse spots in the office and where you were and who you were near reflected some internal hierarchy. And that sucks. It's like not what you want to do. Yeah, I, I love that. And I also do agree running my own business now too. And we created, uh, started over the pandemic and everyone is on Zoom, but we had a meeting in Vegas. The first time we brought everyone together, about 25 people and it was great. It wasn't about business, but it was about that bonding and getting to know one another. And I really foresee that too, is that's the way to do it. You can be so productive. We have been as you have just, you know, virtually, but you need those in-person experiences that are going to bring groups and your community together. Yeah. I think is important. Tell me also, you have something else that's really interesting that you do at Thumbtack which I haven't seen. And, and it's, it's about 360s, sharing 360s. C can you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, what I think you're referring to is I share my 360 with the whole company. Our whole leadership team does the same. And it's something we've been doing for a long time now. And the goal with it is sort of twofold. One is to normalize having good things and bad things about you. You know, I think we grow up trying to get all A's and check all the boxes that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with sort of acknowledging where the warts are and the wrinkles and the flaws. And when the leadership team comes out and says, hey, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I get not great marks on. And here's what, how I'm trying to do better. It builds trust and sets the tone and really encourages other people to be vulnerable with that. And the second thing is that it's really only by publicizing the stuff that you can really gain the help and support and feedback the team around you. We have a value that's choose teamwork. And you know, a big part of that is investing in others. And when you know what somebody is working on, you can help them out. You can support them. You can say, hey, actually, I saw that you didn't actually do what you said you were going to do in this meeting. I don't know if you caught that, but I just wanted to let you know and, and want you to be better. And having turning it into a team sport and turning it into something that the community is helping you with just makes it more likely that you'll make progress and actually get better. You know, I think often this stuff gets written down and never looked at ever again. And that's not the point. The point is to get better and make improvements. And by socializing what you're working on, getting help, being open about it, you tend to be able to make more progress and be held more accountable to that. You know, it sounds like you have this incredible vision for this business. And, and not once, even during our conversation, we talked about revenue and in which you guys have done extremely well in raising money. It seems to me what you're creating is something far greater, maybe like a mission, but, but talk to me about, it seems like it's based around values and yep. wanting to come to work. Tell me more about that. Well, I think you're right. I think we're very mission driven and we're also very values driven. So mission is sort of what we exist to do, right? We want to bring peace of mind to homeowners and help small businesses grow. That's what we do. And then our values is how we do it and not specifically the habits or specific procedures we do day in and day out, but 
how we make trade-offs, what we emphasize. And that's what I think values are there for. I think too often when people talk about culture, they end up talking about habits, but habits change as the company gets bigger and change as the times go on. Values are the things that are supposed to not change, no matter how big the company gets or the tensions put on it, those values are enduring. And we have had two sets of values over the the life of our company. And the first time we put this in, put them in was probably like three or four years into our history when we realized that we were asking our employees and colleagues to interview for sort of fit and to ensure that the people that we were hiring had the values of our organization. And so they very reasonably said to us, great, what values should we be screening for? And so it was a a moment of self-reflection where we really tried to distill down who we were and what made us different, not better, not worse, but just unique, and use that as a rubric to ensure that the people we were attracting fit with those values. And then in 2019 and early 2020, we rolled out sort of the updated version of our values. And here the goal was not simply to reflect who we were, but to define who we wanted to be and make them sort of even a little bit aspirational such that they define the best version of ourselves and not just the everyday version of ourselves. And these values, you know, I can rattle them off and talk about them, talk about them if you're curious, but they really kind of sit at the core of how we operate and animate, I'd like to believe, almost everything. And it creates a consistency across the organization. It creates sort of an alignment. And through that, it just helps us move faster and be better. I would love to know what some of those values are. Sure. So the first is lead with why. And that's really about centering our mission and the service that we orient around for our customers and pros, really at the center of what we do. Then we have more about how we want people to show up. So make it count is the next value, which is to say, it's not just about thinking about what we can do for these folks, but delivering results, You know, making the world better for them. The third value is own it, uh, which speaks to how we want people to show up and operate and not necessarily be told what to do, but really to take ownership over an outcome and sort of shepherd that through. The fourth is choose teamwork. And here the point is like, what we're trying to do is way too big for any one person to do on their own. And it's only by working together. So we look for people that are really team oriented more than self and ego motivated. And then lastly, it's say what you mean. And here it's about having the confidence and respect to really tell everybody around you exactly what you what you mean. And so no back talk or or no sort of side talk. The idea is if, if you have an, a thought that you're that you're acting on or or sharing in confidence with a few people, you owe it to your team to say it and to put it out there. And on the flip side, you have to be confident enough to hear that stuff and to work through it when there's sort of tensions and and sort of misalignments. So these five values then map to sort of behaviors and through that map to sort of what we look for in people when we're recruiting to ensure that, again, it's not like better or worse, but that they want to work in this way and they're excited to be part of a team that operates in this way. It sounds like such an incredible place to work, you know, knowing those values and how much effort and time you put into that, which is incredible. And especially nowadays, right? We're talking about the great resignation. People 
being burnt out, not wanting to work in some of these places they've worked before. And my question for you, just with the business you're in, how has the great resignation affected Thumbtack's business? Yeah. So thankfully, I don't think we've seen much of, of that in the in our numbers, in our sort of attrition, et cetera. But it needs to be called out that we had a big layoff at the start of COVID. You know, we had this huge fear, or not just huge fear, the business was collapsing in February, March of 2020. And we laid off about a third of the company because we weren't sure where the bottom was or how deep that hole was going to be. Now, thankfully, we were wrong and the business came back much faster than we or I think anybody was expecting and have really grown since. So a year after that moment, we were back to the size that we were pre-layoff and now are as big as we ever have been. So for us, it's been a time of growth, but I'm not surprised that COVID precipitated a great resignation because I think one thing that came out of it is it sort of forced you to reassess whether the trade-offs you were making for your job were the right ones. Was that commute worth it? Was that mission that you were working on worth it? Was that boss worth it? Knowing that the alternative now was spending more time with family or having access to all these other jobs virtually, which maybe you couldn't have before. And I think this is happening in white collar work and blue collar work kind of everywhere. So yeah, I think COVID kind of shook us all and we kind of had to decide what we really cared about. And I think many people decided to make changes because of that. And what I think we've benefited from is I think one thing that people are increasingly gravitated towards is purpose and wanting a job that has real purpose and in, and meaning. What I think that comes from for people is impact on the world and a positive impact and one that they can feel good that they're making a difference um, in the world around them. And it's something that you know we certainly don't do perfectly and, and we're working to do better every day, but we have a whole lot of it. And just the customers that we help and the pros that we help, it's an incredible feeling knowing that your work is making an enormous impact in the lives of people in your community. Marco, before I let you go, I want to ask if you were to think back or think now about starting a business, but yourself 15 years ago at that age, coming out of college, you had mentioned you look, you didn't have this idea, you searched for it. Is there something or some idea now that maybe if you weren't involved in this incredible business, you would jump into or maybe advise someone to get into? You know, the the side hustle that I get sort of curious about is less from a sort of business standpoint and more from a political standpoint. And here at home in California, just thinking about how we can make a better California, a more effective California. And are there things that I can do to sort of help make that happen? I think the one sort of the entrepreneurship playbook is most often applied to business problems and consumer problems. And I think that's fantastic and it's powerful and it's effective. And, you know, it's how we operate and how I think many successful companies operate. I think that playbook is just as viable when it comes to nonprofit work, when it comes to government work. And it's not about a tech playbook. It's one that is very customer centric, that is sort of outcome oriented, that is stubborn on vision and flexible on strategy. And I think these things can and ought to be applied more broadly. And if I was doing anything else right now, that would probably be it. Well, I know you got your hands full with thumbtacks, so, but you never know. 
politics. Yep. Uh, it's, you did study political science and it does seem like a big interest. So in any case, I would not be surprised one day maybe to see you as governor of California and you could help out and we could use all the help here in New York if you ever move back. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy in my day job. It's kind of all I want to do. So circling back to sort of my parents, the, the biggest thing I took away from their experience was just how long they had to work at their companies. Decades. And so I'm a decade in and hopefully one of many. So we got a lot more to do. And, and so you'll see me here making this happen. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate and I love the immigrant story in this country. And I love hearing about parents like yours who sacrifice so their children could have better opportunities. And I've had so many entrepreneurs on the show who come from, you know, first generation or just people, immigrants coming over. And it's amazing to me, but what you learn and from watching and seeing them has such an impact on your life that look at you and look what it's done for you in terms of your character. It's always, it's always so thrilling and fascinating to see that over and over. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that story and the power in that. So thanks for sharing these stories and helping more people realize that they can do it too. Yeah. Well, best of luck. And I'm sure we will continue to see Thumbtack grow because as I say, I still don't know where to find a plumber. You, you have a lot of runway. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Check us out. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Marco. Thank you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T, T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.